where this is the beginning of our spring series uh, called Lions. And we're going to be spending some time in the book of Daniel this spring as we uh, walk through this incredible book, not only of character and commitment and loyalty amongst enemy territory, but also prophecy. In fact, Daniel is often referred to as the revelation of the Old Testament. And you can better understand Revelation by reading Daniel. And so, if you were with us this fall when we walked through the book of Revelation, I think of the latter half of this book, you're really going to enjoy the prophetic elements of it, as well as the beginning that, that launches out in several chapters of some of the most incredible narrative and, and storytelling you can imagine in the Hebrew language, let alone of this incredible life. Daniel. And so I, I trust you enjoy this series. I, I entitled it Lions, okay? And um, one of the things is I, I, I particularly love lions. I'm not making this up to fit the series. If you ask my parents, when I was little, my sister had stuffed animals and I had stuffed animals. And, and, and one of my favorite stuffed animals was lions. And hers was tigers. And, and when you have grandparents who love you, you get a lot of what you like. And so I slept with lions all around me. In fact, I had a lion kind of the size of me as well, and uh, at that age anyway, and, and, and lions stuffed all around me. I, I just loved lions. I had lots of lions, and I named them, and they all started with L's, um, Leo, and, and all the names of my lions. I, I love lions, and I still, I still appreciate and still love lions, and a lion is an animal that is often referred to in Scripture. But in preparation for this series, I did a little extra research on lions um, because, you know, I wanted to be just a little more nursed in lions since God is used metaphorically like a lion and the devil's used metaphorically like a lion. So how do we navigate that? Well, one thing I learned right away, and I already kind of knew, but I was able to pinpoint lions are majestic creatures, aren't they? I mean, their manes, when you just take a step back and look at a lion. It is a beautiful creature, but not only that, it's majestic. It has a regal quality to it, and therefore you often think of kings when you think of lions. They're incredibly muscular. They're a cat, but they're a muscled-up cat. I, some of y'all have cats, and they're fat cats, okay? Uh, lions, lions are muscular, and they're extremely athletic creatures. I mean, when you watch a lion run, the power and the athleticism, the agility, the leaping ability, the explosion. I mean, they're incredible, incredible athletes. Very different than like you would say maybe the giraffe or the elephant. A lion is agile and, and fun to watch run as long as it's not next to your car, right? Oh, of course, the lion is known for its really separator, right? It has a roar. It has a roar. I mean, what animals have roars? The lion has a roar, and it's powerful. It helps them set territories. Do you know it's said on the Sahara that a lion's roar can be heard up to five miles? They claim their territories, and they roar. And it's not always that loud thunderclap roar. Sometimes it's more of a snarling roar that warns others to stay away including sometimes little five-year-olds wanting to touch the side of the cage at a zoo. 
It has a, a roar to it. That roar was intentional. It's a paralyzing roar. It's meant to intimidate its enemies as well as scare them into traps that they've set up. But you know the male lion? You often see pictures of it. You know, and, and, and they do seem to love themselves, to sit on their rocks and wave their beautiful hair. But you know the hunters of a pride? Do you know who they actually, who hunts more? The lionesses. Yeah, ladies, that's right. They hunt even more than the male lions. Now, male lions will hunt. And, and when they do, it, it is something to behold. But they'll let the ladies do the work if, if they would like to. But the ladies, they're, they're some kind of nasty, okay? The, the lionesses are some kind of, they, they hunt, they're devious. Lionesses will, will hide in brushes and sneak up and pounce. One of the reasons being that often the things they're attacking are faster than them. And they'll hunt them down, but they need to catch them in a short period. And I was astounded to find out that lions only have about a 30% kill rate when they go to pounce. For they're often attacking things that are quicker than them. And so they have to constantly be lurking in the shadows, sneaking up, circling around so they can pounce immediately. But the lionesses are extremely social. And they have the hots for the guys with the big manes. And I learned this. The staff didn't appreciate hearing me hear what, what their um, mating aspects are like. But the lionesses really love dark manes. They call that a youthful lion. And they kind of will follow around a dark mane over even a lighter mane. And that, boy, was that just a whole lesson on laughing. But these young lions, young lions, now they're interesting because they're, they're, they're more reckless. Like I watched a video of young lions attacking a rhinoceros. And they got themselves in trouble because they were in water. And as they were attacking, alligators were coming at them, and they had to disperse because lions, they don't really grasp their strength yet and what they're capable of, but they think they're capable of everything. So a teenager-type lion likes to hang out in his packs and be reckless and risky. Sound familiar? Wow. Vulturistic, they love to steal what others have killed. They enjoy that too. And lions, young lions, it's interesting because Scripture talks about young lions. And so it was neat to study some aspects of young lions because Scripture will delineate between a lion and a young lion, especially David in his Psalms. It's a very curious study. But I already mentioned this. In Scripture, biblically, we see a lion and, and, and it's spoken of of God. Remember, he is the lion of Judah. That's right. Now, that's Israel, right? And he's mentioned that way in Revelation 5, 5. It says this, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. So we see our Lord and Savior compared to a lion, regal in nature, king of kings, the lion of Israel, the one who protects Israel, guards Israel, watches over Israel, and if need be, roars on Israel's enemies. What a powerful imagery. But Peter tells us something too. Peter says this, believers, those who have trusted Jesus Christ and your Savior, who think it might be just an easy ride, be sober-minded, be watchful. You're walking on a Sahara amongst tall grass. 
your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to take a picture with? No. Seeking someone to devour. In the day and age where NFL teams are named lions, high schools are named lions, we sometimes lose the power of what a lion is. And I really wanted an illustration. If we were able to get our hands on a museum-level um, mount of a lion attacking a kudu, and it's the perfect illustration for this, and we're only allowed to have it for one week. But guys, could you bring this out? And I'm going to try to speak to you still, because I think I'm going to lose all of you, okay, the second they unveil this. But we thought it'd be better for you to kind of see this. And we were able to have this for just a week. And, um, and it, you're going to see this lion attacking. And how they attack is up on the back. Get underneath, grab hold with their mouth, their prey, tackle them with their feet like a middle linebacker. And it's too scary for me to show you on YouTube today. You can go home and watch it. But when lions attack something, it's not a cute endeavor. And, and this is the size of this beast we're talking about. They're massive. These are huge, muscular cats. And they attack with reckless abandon. And in attacking, they, they, it gives us this idea when we read Scripture. God's like, I want you to understand. That is what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with an enemy who is cutesy. We're not dealing with an enemy that doesn't want to destroy you. I'd like you to look at the illustration behind me and you tell me who you think is going to win this. There is an aggressor and there is an aggressee. One has a face of worry. The other has the face of devouring. And I thought, what a wonderful illustration for us as we navigate the book of Daniel to realize we have a prowling lion after us, believers. And we can't walk out there going, I wonder what we'll do today. It's not good enough. God, help me have a good day. We have an adversary who is seeking to hunt us down and attack us. Look what scripture says about lions, especially in comparison to the prowling lion, the evil lion that seeks to kill us like the enemy. David talks about his enemies. He says, like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over poor people. Lions, are, he, he seeks to control. The enemy wants to control your life. He doesn't want you to allow, have freedom of decision making. How does he do that? Well, in Psalms, David says, my enemies are like this roaring lion. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. And he wants to paralyze. He wants you, ah, ah, fear, 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 okay? Then, then not only that, lions lurk. He is like a lion that is eager to tear. And as a young lion lurking in high place, hiding places, the, the evil lion, the prowling lion is lurking. It wants to catch you in isolation. It wants to get you when you're all alone. We got to be on guard. We need to know what our enemy is like in order to survive. The lion of the devil is an enslaving lion. Psalm 7, 2, David compares his enemies, or he will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. There's a tempting lion. Psalm 10, 9, he lurks in a hiding place as a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws them into his net. The number one characteristic of this prowling lion seeking to devour you, you'll see throughout Scripture, is something our society is being bombarded with at an epic 
level. Fear. Fear. The lion roars. And he wants to scare all of us to death. Especially you believers who have salt and light in you. If he can get you terrified and speaking fear on social media, speaking fear into your kids, speaking fear into your Bible studies, he'll sneak and creep in and he'll paralyze us. That's his goal, to scare us. You say, well, I mean, I don't know if I've got this lion scare. Well, let me give you some of, the, his, let me give you some of his tactics in, in um, American language, if you will. Do you have any fears of the unknown? What, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if I have cancer? What if I get it? What about my health? What if we lose my health? What if we save all this money for retirement? We're not even healthy enough to enjoy it. What about my job? I mean, I could lose my job. You never know. I mean, we took this mortgage payment. Are we going to be able to pay it? We could pay it now, but I don't know if I could pay it. You ever do this? I mean, I mean my, our kids, our kids. What could happen to them in the future? Well, if they continue down this path, will it? Terrorism. I mean, this could happen. This could happen. Virus. And believers, if we're not careful, we'll fall right into this trap and be devoured alive by fear. The enemy's tactic. He can't afford Daniels. He wants wimps. And he needs a lot of them. And if he can make Christianity look as wimpy as possible, like a bunch of scaredy cats running for their lives, he will do it. Are we feeding into it? How about rejection? You ever fear rejection? I'm just terrified. I'm just terrified. Do you know how many young ladies, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, you know how many young ladies stay in relationships that are completely dysfunctional and completely horrible in their dating life? You want to know why? Well, I, I don't want to be alone. Fear of rejection, fear of being isolated, fear of being unaccepted. People change their clothing styles, change their habits, change their looks, change the way God made them. Fear. How about, how about fear of loss? I'll tell you what, there's not a parent alive who hasn't had that fear hit them at some point. What if something happened to one of my children? Maybe young kids out there, what if something happens to grandma? Fear of loss. Shame. I'm afraid you're going to get caught. I'm afraid something in the past is going to come back to get me. I, 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 try, I can't forgive myself. How about fear of failure? I don't want to let anybody down. I mean, I don't want to let anybody down. I mean, if I let everybody down, I mean, this, I, I can't do this. I can't, you know what? I'm going to have to cheat the system because if I fail, if I get a bad grade, look, look I, I kind of have to do this because if I don't do this and, then, and we justify all this stuff and all that's being motivated or all that's motivating us is our fears, not faith. And then when we're motivated by fear, we become the God and we try to fix everything and we become extremely vulnerable to the roar of our enemy. You say, well, how? How can I stay faithful when the enemy's so powerful? I mean, doesn't Scripture say, doesn't Scripture say he's on the roam? He, he is the God of this world and he's roaming around? No, he's not roaming around. He's prowling around and he's seeking someone to devour. But let me hear this. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Where fear is present in your life, wherever it is, where fear is present, faith is absent. Wherever it is, 
the loss of something, the fear of what could happen in the future, the fear of rejection, wherever that fear is present, you've pushed faith out of the picture. What I want us to do in this series is to let faith come walking back in to the picture. But you say, but these things could happen to me. These things could happen. They could. And that is all the more reason you'll need the faith to get through them if indeed they do. This spring, we're going to open up the scroll of Daniel. And we'll notice a man who grew up under captivity. We're going to see that not only was he a saint, he was a seer. And so there's prophetic elements. Do you know that in Daniel, he predicts that at the end of the age, there'll be an explosion of technology and knowledge? What does that guy know? Wow. Are we living the prophecy of Daniel? He's a man of purpose. He is a man of prayer. He's a man of prophecy. And we can gain so much from studying Daniel's life. For I want to propose one of the reasons he wasn't eaten by lions was because he had the lion with him. And he was one of them, just on a very different level. I pray that this study of Daniel will encourage you and inspire you because the theme throughout the book is God's sovereignty even when the nations are completely against him. And how he works through his kids to continue his plan despite the degrading aspects of the world all around them. I think it's apropos for today. I think it's going to build a faith of our church. And I pray we will walk through this series not rearing and running and terrified of our world, but engaging it and maneuvering through it like lions. Heavenly Father, use this study to inspire us and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's it goes. We're going to open up the scroll. Okay, it's Daniel chapter 1. And in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, you all were studying about him this week, right? That's the king of Judah. Okay, so the king of Israel. He's an evil king. He's a carnal king. And you know what's really sad? He followed Josiah. You know how many parents have named their kid Josiah going, oh, he was the good king. He was. This guy wasn't. He followed him, and, and he was so awful, he led the country into idolatry where Israel was completely abandoning the things of God to the point where a Jeremiah scroll was brought to Jericho, and he ripped it up. He felt he could destroy God's word. Israel had fallen into unfaithfulness, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Because he's in control, note this, and the Lord gave Jacob, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Wait a minute, God allowed this? God even allowed an evil king like Nebuchadnezzar to go and discipline his kids? Yes, he did. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, or we're going to Babylon, to the house of his God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. These Jews, many of them, were killed or led into captivity under Babylonian rule. Israel. Your unfaithfulness has put you in this spot. God had warned them, warned them, and warned them. And where there's a yellow light, teenagers, where there's a yellow light, what kind of light's coming? Red. He warned them, yellow, yellow, yellow. 
I mean, I was so shocked. It was like yellow, 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 and it went red. I thought it was going to be green. I was following a tractor trailer, Dad. You don't get it. Red's coming. God warned him and warned him and warned him, and here's what sin will do. Sin will do three things every time. It's going to take you farther than you want to go. It's going to keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it's going to cost you more than you wanted to pay. Israel's going to spend 70 years under Babylonian captivity. The, the length, of, at least in Daniel, the length of time under this Babylonian rule of Nebuchadnezzar. And, and in case you're thinking, I want to name my kids Bible names, go ahead. Go with Daniel, Judah. But if your little guy's Nebuchadnezzar, I'd steer away from that. This guy was awful, wicked on another level. He was so cruel and so disgusting. You know what he liked to do? He put together this furnace in the middle of the city of Babylon, and he enjoyed watching people who tested him. He didn't fire them. He didn't find another position for them in the firm. He took them outside and enjoyed watching them burn alive in front of him in a fiery furnace. This is Nebuchadnezzar. This guy is a monster. You are terrified if you rule under him. Not to lose your job, to lose your head. And this same king commanded Ashpenaz, this is one of his chief eunuchs, to bring some of the people of Israel. We just captured Israel? Okay, bring me some of them. Well, what kind? I want people from the royal family and of nobility. I want their youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. What? Yes, bring me the elite of their culture. I want the elite Jewish boys. I want the ones who can stand before me and have a level of maturity. Make sure they're good looking. I want to look at them. Make sure they're strong. Make sure they have some wisdom. I want, I want kids that parents have overinvested in. I want the achiever kids. Bring them to me. What's he doing? What's going on? What's he up to? I think half of the battle as a believer is knowing the schemes of your enemy. Ask any athlete. The better he knows the opposing team's schemes, the better he can navigate their attacks as well as fight back. Something's going on here. He wants to teach them the language of the Chaldeans. Now, that's a double meaning in Scripture. It can mean ethics, Southern Babylonian education, but it's also a class of astrologers and priests. So if you know Daniel's background, they're making him one of the elites of Babylonian education. But I spot a scheme. I believe Nebuchadnezzar wants to change their worldview, how they see the world. He's regulating their education. He's shaping their thinking, and he's developing their pursuits and what they'll go after. I mean, that's not done today, right? Young people, if you're not aware of the enemy's schemes, you'll walk right into secular humanism and not even realize what happened to you. Worldview, how you see the world. He's seeking to shape it. He wants to make these Jewish boys Babylonians. The king of then, he continues, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were educated for three years, three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. What's he doing? Three years, I want you to eat my food, 
eat what I eat. He, he is, oh my word, do you see what he's doing? He's starting to scheme on their pursuits. He's conforming them to their culture. Eat like a king. I want you to eat like a king. This is where we get the phrase, right? You're going to eat king's food. You're going to eat like a king. You're going to have a portion. You're going you're gonna to eat my portions. You're going to live in this palace. You're going to do this for three years to get whose approval? Whose approval? The king's approval. Nebuchadnezzar is scheming on them. He's making them live for him. He's going to make them comfortable. He's going to make them feel like kings. And he's going to make them never want to leave that lifestyle again. He's scheming on their pursuits. Does our culture desire our young people to grow up and pursue certain things that are not of this Lord, of our Lord? To pursue things that are not of Scripture? Is this still happening today? Is there still a lion seeking to pounce? Oh, I believe it's very obvious there is. The second scheme was to make them value Babylonian values. Just be happy. Everybody wants you to be happy. Hey, do what you feel is best for you. Who cares what anybody else thinks? Just do it. Take the views of your culture. Among these boys, among these boys, as we continue the story, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. So Daniel was one of these dudes. Okay? So, ladies, if you feel like Daniel was a stud. Okay? He was. He was one of these guys where Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, like him. And, and not only that, he was wise. And he was smart. His parents had invested much into him. And he goes and changes their names. Daniel, he calls Belteshazzar. Hananiah, Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. My dad used to say Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. But it's not to bed we go. It's Abednego. These were Babylonian names. What's he doing? Oh, he's just changing the names. It's no big deal. Stop. It's a scheme. He's changing their names to change their what? Their identity. Belteshazzar is a name of a Babylonian god. Bel protect the king. Shadrach is the command of a coup, another Babylonian god. Meshach, who is what a coup is. Abednego, servant of Nego. And just step in for a second. Step in the seminary for a second. When you throw these two names up next to each other, just deeper dive with me for two seconds. You put their Jewish name next to their Babylonian name with their, and with their definitions, and you can see there's a reorganizing of identity. Daniel, God is my judge. Now, Belteshazzar, protect the king. Nebuchadnezzar is my God. Hananiah, Lord is gracious. Shadrach, you do it the command of Aku. Mishael, who is like the Lord? Meshach, who is what Aku is? Azariah, the Lord is my helper. No, no, you're a servant of Nego. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah have grown up in God-fearing families who gave them names that, that spoke of their love of God. And now Nebuchadnezzar has changed them to these names. What is he doing? He's resetting their worldview. He is refocusing their pursuits and he's replacing their identity. There's said of a coach one time, he walked up to his recruiting coordinator and said, hey, you know those guys? You know that guy who, who gets knocked down and then he gets back up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want me to recruit somebody like that? No. 
You, you know the guy who gets knocked down, gets back up and gets knocked down again. He gets back up. You know that guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want me to get that guy? I can get that guy for you, coach. No, I don't want that guy. What? You know that guy. You know him. He gets knocked down. Get back up. He gets knocked down. He gets back up. He gets knocked down. He's growing. He gets back knocked down again. You know that guy. And the guy, I know that guy. I'll get that guy. You want him? No, I don't want him either. What do you want, coach? I want the guy knocking everybody down. Go get me the guy knocking everybody down. That's Nebuchadnezzar. That's Nebuchadnezzar. Give me the guys who will go out there and knock everyone down. Because I am here to destroy people. I have none of their good in mind at all. The prowling lion knows the safest road to bondage is the gradual one. It's not the big sin. It's the little sins along the road. Because he's still trying to adjust our worldviews. Prove it. Ever hear, ever hear this? In regards to worldview? Um, the Bible's not relevant anymore. It's old. You ever hear this said in, in the education world? Um, faith is for the uneducated. Scripture infringes on my rights. I have rights. And even though the Bible doesn't say it's okay, I have rights. Christianity is full of hate. That's what it is. It's full of people who hate. Church is full of hypocrites. I would never go there again. The worldview is shaping towards, make no mistake, we have a prowling lion who wants even Christians to believe. You ready? God is not good. That's the worldview. God's not good. So when a bad circumstance happens in your life, forget God. When you're going through a trial, that jerk of a God. When you've been let down in your life, oh, I hate God. That is the worldview, and the devil wants it. And if he can get that through your head, he'll do whatever it takes, including regulate your education, to do it. How about your pursuits? The American dream is utopia. You'll hear young people, what do you want to do when you grow up? Oh, I want to have a big house. I want to have this. I want lots of money at retirement. If I put money away now, this. Uh, why, why, why? Because I, I want to feel safe and secure and feel success and respect. The pursuits are, are the American dream, not even the things of Scripture. And I'm not saying any of those things are necessarily bad, but they are when they're out of balance. Social media has become everyone. Your young people will text you, yo, Dad, everyone's saying this on social media. Everyone? I didn't say it. Am I not an everyone? You realize social media, especially to teenagers, is everyone? That's everyone. Where do these people get their pulpits from? Why should I even respect those opinions? What have they done to earn them? A little spot on a quote? Yet they are the everyone. That terrifies me as a parent. That's not everyone. Who are we listening to? And it seeps in slowly and gradually till our pursuits are exactly the world's pursuits. Identity? Identity? Are we being attacked? Is this thing on us an identity? You are what you do. For young people, older folks, stay with me for a second. There's this thing called Instagram. You are how many people you follow you, okay? Your worth is depending on how many people follow you or how many people like something, okay? And it's become a performance prison. And these kids are out there going, if I, if I don't have as many followers, if I don't have as many likes, you look at their life. Their life is so exciting. They're only posting the highlights. And they've cropped out anything that don't work for them. And we've grown into this. And I'm not saying it's wrong to post on. I like watching some of that stuff. I'm not. No problem. But 
when we seek to pursue and identify ourselves by what other people say, people get really big and God gets itty bitty small because our identity is wrapped up in what people say and think about us. Well, you say, well, geez, how can I stay faithful when I've got this sucker behind me? I mean, it feels like i got no chance. I want to do the things of God. I want to be a, a leader like Daniel. But, but what, what's he like? What did he know? I want, you to, I want you to hear something. Anticipation is a separator. It exposes the worrier and the warrior. Stay with me for a second. There are people who anticipate future events. I'm going to go to the warrior side. Oh, my word, you know what's going to happen? I mean, last time that happened, I was at a church and that happened one time. I bet this will happen. I know what's going to happen. Anticipation can expose a warrior, a warrior, excuse me, or anticipation can expose a warrior. You know what happened last time? Here's what we need to do this time. You know, I've seen this before. And when I've seen this before, I've noted when we've been able to do this, this has happened. It doesn't, it, anticipation is, is forward thinking, but one moves towards worry and one moves towards faith. And, and who we put faith in will dictate how we do. I remember the first time, junior high, you get your first helmet and your shoulder pads don't fit, okay? I had my helmet on, I think, in seventh grade. I still had glasses. They were gone by eighth grade due to bullying. Um, so, so, so I had my helmet on. I remember I, got, I made special teams, and I thought that was pretty exciting. And, and I remember, and in practice, we just ran down, and the first guy to touch the football was often those guys who would get to do special teams because at seventh grade, the coach really didn't care about special teams too much. And, and so we were the guys he didn't care too much about, so we kind of knew that and we enjoyed it. But we were playing this school, uh, Holly Kong, okay? I still remember this thing because I don't remember much after it. And go! And I just start running. I'm in pads. I am Deion Sanders. And I am running. I mean, this is the greatest thing. And I see the football. And I'm almost there. And something happened. I was all of a sudden parallel to the ground. I, I landed on the ground. I, this, they, somebody drove a tractor trailer into our field and hit me. And I'm on the ground. My helmet spun around because I didn't have it tightened enough. It spun around. My pads went over my head. My glasses shattered in my thing. I'm laying on the ground, and I had this monster eighth grader over top of me going, stay on, you loser. I can't really say what he said. Eighth grade, I went down that field, and I was like, where's that guy? Anticipation. Anticipation. I'm going to get slammed if I don't anticipate. Daniel was the definition of anticipation. Can I give you a quick story on how he did it? Daniel resolved he would not defile with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. He purposed. Daniel had something I'm going to call a preset. You know, the power of anticipation is having a pre. He preset what he will not do. Do you have any presets in your life? These are things I will not do. We can have biblical presets. Sometimes we have personal presets. It's not healthy for me to do that. Maybe somebody else could, but it's not good for me to walk into Dunkin' Donuts. We sometimes have personal presets. Sometimes we have collective presets. Our church says, there are some things we're not going to do. We have already resolved it. We have already purposed in our hearts, we're not going to do this. But you say, it's not, it's not an attack yet. But if this attack comes... This is how we'll do it. Like presets on a radio. Do you have any presets? Young people, if you don't have presets, 
that's what you'll look like. Young ladies, if you don't have presets, that's what he'll look like. You have to have presets. That's coming from a dad with a girl. Okay? You have to. You cannot trust the basement and the parents upstairs. You have to have presets in your life. Or you will be put in situations where the temptation is too strong. Dad, don't you trust me? I trust you. I don't trust your flesh. Because dad's just as weak as anybody else. Daniel said, I have presets. I am not going to eat the king's food. Why? Because it was offered to idols, and he knew that would defile him, and it was against the Levitical law. Daniel said, I'm not doing that. You can change my name. You can give me an education, but I'm not eating your food. Therefore, he went up and asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. We're so quick to raise a sign. Instead of go up to the authority in place and not disrespect the authority. For who put the authority in place whether they're good or evil? Be careful when you disrespect authority. Young people, hear me on this. Be careful when you disrespect authority. For you have to remember what we're told even in Romans of who put that authority in place whether it's good or evil. Including Nebuchadnezzar. So when you're challenging authority, keep in mind that the Lord has them in authority right now. Believe it or not, God already knows who's going to be elected in November. He's not staying up all night worried about it. He already knows. He's a sovereign God. And if you don't believe he's good, life is a terrifying place. But if you believe he can work regardless of what happens in your nation or around it, you'll have presets and you'll say, I'm staying faithful to him. No matter what, he asked and God worked. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, but I fear the Lord my king who assigned your food and your drink, for why would he see that you were in worse conditions than the other youths who are your own age? You've got to eat the king's food so he would endanger my head. I mean, Daniel, that's great. I'm glad you have convictions, but your convictions get me killed. Daniel was prepared. He knows what he will plan to do. See, it's not just enough to have convictions it's how you will use your convictions. What will you ask for? What will you propose? How will you approach it? Daniel was so wise. Not only did he have a conviction, he helped guide his authority figure through the conviction with empathy and compassion. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezra, test your servants for, seven, for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you say. Give us a test. Let us try it. Ten days. And for all the vegetarians out there, the Hebrew word actually means more of a cereal or wheat. You can use it if you want, but take it scripture a little far. Clearly the king's food was bad, though, and what he was eating is good. Verse 14, so he listened to them in this manner and tested them for ten days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took their food away and from food than the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Why? Because Daniel presumed some things. He presumed. He prepared what he would plan to do. He preset what he was not going to do. And then he presumed what he might have to do since he has taken this stand. He was the responsible one in this. I had a young person come to me one time and say, Pastor Chris, I really don't want to do this at school. I'm being asked to do this at school. I said, why don't you ask your teacher if you can avoid that? If I ask my teacher, you don't know what's going to happen to me. I said, be willing to pay that price if you really want to take that stand. 
he took that stand. He ended up having to write a 10-page paper the whole class didn't have to write. He handed it in. He got a pretty difficult grade because it wasn't exactly what the teacher wanted, didn't appreciate that the student took this stand, but he's now a pastor at our church. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king commanded them that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. It's oral quiz time, and it's King Nebuchadnezzar in front of them. And the king spoke with them, and among them, all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus, 70 years. Faithful Daniel. He had presets what he would not do in enemy territory. He was prepared what he will plan to do if he gets pushed back. And he presumed there might be some and what he would have to do to navigate it. Why? Because Daniel had incredible faith. Do you want it, young person? Do you want it, older person? Do you want to live a life like Daniel? Then you can't walk into work going, I hope this goes well. You're going to need some presets. You're going to have to prepare, and you're going to have to presume there's going to be some difficulty along the way. But God will be faithful to you through that. But the lion will roar. You know, this whole chapter 1 is set up in what's called a chiastic structure in the Hebrew. A chiastic structure is a parallel structure. I, I want to show it to you so you can see it while I say it. Verses 1 and 2 will parallel with the final verse, 21. This is an example of a kiosk in Hebrew. The main point is always found in the middle of the kiosk. Babylonia assumes supremacy over Israel, verses 1 and 2. Look at the end of the chapter. Daniel proves supreme over the Babylonians. B, young men taken and subjected to pagan training, verses 3 through 7. B, young men triumph in their pagan training, 17 through 20. Now here's the middle. Daniel seeks to remain faithful to his God, 8 through 14. Daniel remains faithful to his God, verses 15 through 16. What a kiosk structure is to do in Hebrew language is this. The main point is found in the middle. Faith will triumph over fear if that faith is placed in the line of Judah. But folks, as you study out lions, they like to roar at us. They like to scream in our face fear. And lions love to roar at its prey. In fact, a male lion will sit on top of a rock. If that thing moves, let me know. If a male, a male lion will sit on top of its rock and roar, and the prey, they say, even in the deserts in the Sahara, will run from that roar, and they'll run straight into the lionesses. They would have actually probably been safe if they ran towards the roar more than running away from the roar. And this enemy of ours still seeks to do the same, Christian. He roars at us, and he wants you to be scared. He wants you in the car going, kids, uh, with the way the world is today, I don't even know why I had you guys. I mean, I mean, I'm telling you, it's over. It's over. You can forget it, all right? And then the kids go to school. Oh, my word, did you see this? We're going to watch this on the news today. I mean, this is the, if you want anxiety, watch the news for an hour. Like, if you're like, I've never had the anxiety thing. I heard a lot of people have it. I'm interested. Just watch the news. And every article is set because the more clicks they get, the more money they make. 
And so even in sports media and things, they click stupid trades. Why? So you go, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Click, gotcha. It's clickbait, and it's turned into a society crippled with fear, and we Christians can't buy in. We can't buy in. We're to move towards the roar so often in life. I have found almost everything I've ever wanted was on the other side of a roaring fear. But we can't just walk at a lion. That's dumb. We have to walk towards the lion with presets, what you will not do. We're going towards this fear, but I'll tell you what. If I see this, we're not doing it. We're going towards the fear, but we will prepare. If this happens, what we will plan to do in in regards to this. We will walk towards our fears, but we will presume things could go wrong and we should have a backup plan if they do. We are supposed to be in front of the game, children of God, not behind the game. And in order to do that, we have to anticipate how the devil likes to attack us. Is he lurking on you, and every time you're alone, you commit some of your most shameful things? Is he prowling on your love for God, and lately you've been struggling with a spirit of resentment towards God? Is he prowling on your fears that he's not in control, and you're saying, I have to cheat, because if I don't get an A, I'm dead. Who's killing you? People. So people are more important to you than God? Well, I mean, I'm not really, yes, you are saying it. We take shortcuts because we don't have presets. We hide from things that God might be calling us to because we have not prepared. And we always presume the worst and we talk ourselves out of God's best. We need to walk like lions into our fears. Folks, Scripture says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over all the earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those hearts who are loyal to him. Make no mistake, Daniel got to lead one of the most significant lives in the world because he chose loyalty to God, and God noticed it and followed it. Young person out there, I don't have Daniel's testimony. There were some years where I've strayed. I challenge you. We got enough people who get up in front of church and say, well, there's about 15 years where I walked away from the Lord, and I love all those testimonies, but what if you didn't have that? You said I stayed faithful the best I could. But there's also a scheming lion, and that's what our series is about, that we'll put on the whole armor of God that we'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. My goal at the end of the series is to have a church that can claim Psalm 5611. In God I trust. I will not be afraid.